Welcome to the Theory of DFS podcast. I'm Jordan Cooper, the co-author of the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass. You can pick up at theoryofdfs.com. Join with me now is Neil Orfield, Player Q DFS. Uh, you could also find some of his uh, work at awesomeo.com. You do the you you do the, the the Saturday NFL tournament strategy show. Uh, yep. You do some of the showdown stuff, and yep. that it. I my phrase is play whoever you want, obviously. And from listening to your shows, uh, your phrase is uh, what do the tools say? Yeah, yep. That's uh, that's kind of how I play it for the most part. I I get unique occasionally, but yeah, I'm pretty pretty reliant on the Osmo tools for a lot of this stuff. Uh, just to kind of figure out, I mean, mostly, mostly just ownership projections, I would say is uh, the biggest tool that I use and then kind of go by gut. And I use the, the awesome boom bust tool a lot um, along, along with some other stuff, but yeah, yes, that is, that is a good, uh, a good, uh, a, what am I trying to say here? Yes. That, that is what I say a lot, I would say. Right. But so we both get into very similar situations with, with, uh, you know, doing content where people will be like, like, well, what do you like? And it's like, well, I don't like anything, but the tools say this. And it's like, yeah. well, you could just look, you could look. I'm not looking at anything that you can't look at, especially since, but me and you both really don't do anything like proprietarily in our process. I think maybe, maybe the difference between us, do you, do you look everywhere? For instance, like, so you like, obviously let, let, let's put, let, let's put the, you know, the, the, be as transparent as possible. Like, on awesome shows, you're going to say, I look at the awesome, you're not going to say, I look, you do look at the awesome tools. And if you look at any other stuff, you may not necessarily mention it, or you may regard and around the industry, you use terms like that, because obviously they're a business and probably not great to promote competitors. And I do the same thing on Roto Grinders, where it's like, you know, I take aggregate projections, I weight them differently, but like, I'll highlight the blitz projections at the Grin Iron IQ, the the RG ownership, and I'll always say it's like I change the ownership based on what I think, which includes projections from around the industry or on an NBA slate. A lot of times I'm in the in the Discord when I am playing NBA, where like we have a player that's like uncertain role, and and the minutes projection could be anywhere from like twenty to thirty two, and then like like. Well, RG has it at 30, but Osmo has it at 22. So it's like a wildly different opinion of how these rotations are going to are going to go out, but I'll always say like even in in our Discord, like if we're like the outlier, I'll even post it's like well around the industry he's projecting, you know, his projections much better or his projections much worse. So so people don't go in and go, you know, they see a guy that we're projecting for 32 minutes that everyone else has at 26. And going, oh my God, this guy's going to be forty percent owned, and it's right. like, no, he's not going to be forty. It's like we have we have an outlier projection on him, which may be the more accurate one, but the yeah. ownership isn't going to go with there. So, like, I feel like I, I'm not going to say where these projections are. I'm just going to go well around the industry. They're a they're a little bit different. So, do you like in your own personal play? I mean, you have to. I mean, if you're playing against other people that use other sources, it makes more sense that you got you got to look at them. So honestly, I don't that much. So like the, the ownership projections, I really only look at Osimo's ownership projections. I use various tools from other sites, um, but in terms of day-to-day looking at projections and looking at ownership projections, I typically use Osimo's ownership projections. And I don't look at the other sites unless it's something like, 
15 minutes before lock and an NBA player was ruled out and Osmo is not updating their projections quickly enough. Sometimes I'll try and go find that somewhere. I'll see where other people are uh, changing projections and then I will use that to change my own projections because I don't really stick with the projections anyway. I, I use them as a baseline and I kind of adjust the projections to get to exposures that I like of players. So it's like, I use them a lot as, you know, I use them as a starting point. I think that it's really important to have good projections, but then I look at, you know, the projections relative to ownership expectations and I adjust the projections sometimes kind of a lot. And I do it gradually. I recrunch and recrunch in fantasy cruncher. Um, but I don't, yeah, I, I don't usually look at too many other sources for projections unless it's like, I have a time crunch. I need to see where they're projecting, how, how, uh, they are changing their projections based on a player being out or something along those lines. Well, I would think that the ownership ones are the ones that the most important. But of course, you're talking to someone that that to me that's my strength. Projecting the players yeah. isn't my strength. Projecting the ownership is more of my strength from from a oh. from an intuitive perspective. Like I'm not doing any type of scientific thing. But I should so so I will agree with you that I should probably do that more. I should probably be looking at other places ownership projections and seeing how they project players to see where the ownership projection might not be quite right. Yeah, that, that is probably uh, a leak in my game somewhat because I do just kind of rely on Osmo's ownership projections, and usually they're really good. Uh, I feel like you know, so so la last night Damian Harris ended up being fifty percent owned, and that was a shock to me. Maybe it shouldn't have been, um, but it definitely was based on their ownership. If he was fifty, if, if he if I knew he was fifty percent owned, I have even less of him. So I mean, oh like, yeah. yeah, like it becomes one of those things that he gets there, and actually the bet you actually have more than you should have. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I think I had 17% and I was under the field and I was like, yeah, I think I want to be under the 23% that was projected. So I don't actually know. I don't remember. It might have been 28%. I don't know what it was he was projected at, but definitely not 50%. I wasn't expecting him to be just gassed uh, to the extreme. So that was that was a shocker to me. Um, and, and occasionally that happens, but in general, I think that they're pretty good. Well, I like going from site to site. Like in, in NFL, what I'll do is I'll go to ETR I'll go to Awesome I'll go to Daily Roto, go to Labs. And because I know people, it's one of these things that you know people use these tools. Right. And a lot of times, truthfully, they don't use them well. So, like, <laughs> so I know what they're looking at. So, like, I know the Blitz, like, has certain weights on their projection, on the projections that other sites don't. And others, you know, like, Carr and Renfro this past slate. The Blitz loves the Raiders usually much more than than other systems, but I know so I can't just judge it of like, well, is Renfro really going to be that owned or is he not? So I have to look at other places to go. What are they looking at? Or we had the Gardner Minshew, right, starting for the the Eagles, and I had to I had to, I bumped I bumped his ownership and I bumped uh, the Eagles receiver ownerships up because ETR had them so had him so high, so I I. I didn't change the huh. projection on my end. It's just more right. of like, well, now I have to factor in a higher ownership, which obviously means that if I don't have a higher projection, I'm going to get less of them. That's why I, did, I didn't have any Minshew stacks, right? Because I saw the ownership was going to go there. The hardest one to gauge was the the, the car ownership because yeah. uh, with Minshew going up and then people playing Herbert, right? I knew Brady, I knew Stafford would be, would be decently owned because Cup and Godwin would be owned. Uh, but yeah. I had to judge how much ownership Carr would get with Moreau being that owned. 
So right. it's like, because people are going to pair the stuff up and go rent for a Moreau car, and Gibson is the highest owned running back. So it's like, car's ownership has almost has to come up. The, the more the receiver ownership comes up, the quarterback ownership comes up. But that's to me, right. that's all related to what we're looking at across the industry. And if you're building ownership projections solely off your projection source, you're kind of you're kind of you're kind of putting that mirror in front of you. You're looking into a mirror of yeah. your own making of like, yeah, based on based on our current projections, this is what the ownership should be. But it's yeah. like, well, if you're if you're all, even off by a point here and there between certain people, yeah. like that that ownership changes. I mean, I saw in the blit the blitz uh, had a slightly higher projection on James Conner than other sites in the industry. Now, although we had these running backs this past slate, we had like, you could choose like 12 there of them. So many. Yeah, right, there were so many. But pick. but my, my goal was to play more of the running backs that weren't, that were lopsided. Yep. Like, but I didn't know what where the ownership would go. But looking around the industry, I'm like, ETR has Mitchell higher than anywhere else, right? But when I say higher, I'm not talking about five points. I'm talking about like a point and a half. But a right. point and a half in an optimizer, if people are using it incorrectly, right? Or they're just gonna it's just gonna start jamming in one and a half yeah. extra points. If it right? knocks him above somebody else, then yeah, that'll right. that'll be enough. Right. So I look at that, I go, okay, Mitchell there, and then I look around the industry and Gibson projects highly. He's been touted everywhere. So I'm like, okay, Gibson and Mitchell probably get more of the ownership. I don't know how much more, right? So I if everyone was even, that would be around twenty ish. So yep. it's like, well, how much is, are these two going to get 28, 26, something like that? They ended up with like 31 each, but yeah. I got less of them because of that. I adjusted the ownership. I think RG had them like uh, Gibson at like 26 and Mitchell at like 22. And I bumped them up to like 30 each or like 30 and 28. And once I did that and I had to obviously bump Connor down to like 18 instead of but 20, like, all of a sudden, so I get lineups that have like Montgomery in it and Saquon Barkley in it and Jamal more Jamal Williams in it. But the only reason I adjusted that ownership is because I had to. I looked elsewhere, mm-hmm. and if you went just by the Osmo ownership, you would have you would not have had Gibson and Mitchell at at nearly thirty two. Like I didn't have him at thirty two percent, but I think the Osmo ownership only had them at like twenty three, twenty four. And so, I so bought them up. That you are ownership that you're that you're changing the ownership on these players. Right. That matters to you as like an actual input in your system because you put a max ownership on your lineups. Is that right? Or I or I, I compare the pro, the ownership sum or ownership product of the lineups. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I will. So sometimes if, if I need be, I have so many lineups to choose from, and it's like okay, I just want to eliminate anything over 120. Like then yeah, I could yeah. do it, but most of the time I don't need to use min max. Cause I'm just pruning lineups out and choosing which ones. Cause obviously I'm not right. playing 150 anymore. I'm just playing like 20 lineups. So obviously I'm like, I'm making like 700 lineups and going, what 20 do I want to play type of thing. So I don't necessarily need to use the cap, but yes, it's a, it's a, it's a major signifier comparing projection to either ownership, summer ownership product, which I could do in Excel. Like it's a yeah. major, like that's a deciding factor of my lineups and you're, you're playing, even even in 150, that would still be a major factor in my lineup. But for you, it's more of the fact of you have all these. You have 150. You 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 have 5,000 lineups to choose from. You're building the best 150 you can, and you're more concerned about the diversification between your lineups than the uh, yep. like getting exactly. getting the best 150 is not your concern. Is not your primary concern as long as you have a good 150. Yep, yep. I'd say that's about right. Yeah. So I don't. 
I don't put any kind of max on my ownership product. That's what I can do in Fantasy Cruncher. Ownership product. No, ownership, ownership sum. sum. Yeah. Ownership sum in, in Fantasy Cruncher. Uh, I don't, I, a, lot of player, a lot of players do that. I don't actually bother doing that. I just know that it, I, I, I'm more focused on individual players getting different. So I look at where I think uh, people are playing it wrong in terms of uh, the field's ownership versus chance of success. And I just adjust the individual players and assume that it's going to work out when I end up crunching my lineups um, rather than actually putting a cap on anything, which I think is sort of maybe unique to me uh, in terms of pros. I think a lot of pros actually do, um, you know, set a cap on ownership some, but. Well, you could, but how do you, but I think the main, the main problem with, with your method, how do you solve, how do you deal with the clumping? Um, So I, I use randomness. Uh, for one thing, and I don't, I don't put caps on players, like in terms of um, percentage, in terms of my exposure to players. So they no, don't but the, the point I think I think that uh, what I'm trying to understand is so the reason, like, if you don't put an ownership cap, if you don't put caps of some type, even if you add randomness, what happens with the 150 is that like, oh, you have like, let's say you know you want to be under on Gibson and under on Mitchell, so you have 10 percent of Gibson, 10 percent of Mitchell but they still project as the best. So they're being jammed in. So you're getting a lot of Mitchell Gibson lineups and then you're getting a lot of non get because like your top lineups will be some of the higher projected lineups, but they'll also be the highest owned. And then your bottom lineups will have like none of the chalk plays in it at all. So that's what I mean by clumping that in your 150, if you don't set some type of cap, unless you have a pruning method, like you're going to get the top, the t- the, like the top 10 like, yes, you have 50% of this guy and 50% of that guy, but they're all in the same line. Like, like yeah, overall, yeah. They, they're in the same 75 lineups of each other, and then the other 75 lineups don't have them at all. So, like, so by setting a max be- ownership, you, you're you're avoiding, because it's like, oh, yeah. well, if, you, if you're setting a max ownership and you say the max is 120 and there are two guys that are 50% owned, it's like, it's very hard to get both of them into the same lineup and still have a good projected lineup because you only have 20% ownership to spend on the rest of your lineup, which are going to be poorly projected players. Yeah. So for me, um, so I think that would become an issue in fantasy cruncher if I were using uh, player caps more. So I'm I'm pulling it up to see what the terminology is uh, in fantasy cruncher um, just so that I can say this correctly. So, so when in fantasy cruncher, when you set player exposures, there are, are player caps, there are two ways of doing it, and you can do it. Um, this is the cap for uh, the entire. So there's you can do after each lineup is created or based on number of lineups requested. So if you do after each lineup is created, um, you know it will calculate. So if I say 50% uh, on each player, for example, in the second lineup, I won't be able to have any of the players from the first lineup. Um, or if I do uh, based on number of lineups requested. Um, so I, if I, It'll, it, it, that, that'll of, do it the way that I'm talking about where you yeah. do it based on 150 and you say that 50%, like it'll, it could, it could give you all 50% in one, in one swoop. It's the same thing in lineup HQ. We have a, we have a box called use running exposure percentages when building. It's the same concept that, that you just describe. If you have like a cap of 50 on two players, once it makes the first lineup, it puts your cap at a hundred and says, well, I can't put it the guy in the next lineup and then it's down to yeah. 50 and then it, it keeps on building that way. That, yeah. that, that addresses some of the clumping, 
but it does. Right. It, you still, but you, st- I, I can tell you, yeah. you still, you still do get clumping, even when yeah. you do do that, because what it's going to happen is that your first, like, let's, we're using the example of the fifty percent guy because it's just easier math, right? Yeah. So you have two guys at fifty percent, and the first lineup, it'll be like, okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you both of them. Then the next lineup is going to give you neither of them. Then the next yeah, yeah. lineup will give you one of them. Then the next right. lineup will give you the other guy. And then the next lineup will give you both of them. But like, it's still going to try to jam in at least because they're probably going to be the highest projected guys. It's going right. to give you at least one, if not two, sometimes towards the top. But towards your like your bottom twenty or thirty lineups, you may not get either of them because. Right. But like, so, so to me, so to me, that is an issue more if you are using player caps. Like if you are capping exposure to players, that's going to be an issue. I don't set expo- exposure caps in general. I set everybody at 100%, uh, and then I just adjust projections until I get to percentages that I like. That, that's what I used to do, um, and then I would kind of have to prune through my lineups a little bit more to make sure. I would kind of look at when I have this player in a lineup, how much exposure do I have to this other player? And I would come up with various methods to, to change things now it's less of an issue because I use 100% player explo- player exposure caps, and then I just adjust projections until I get to uh, exposure that I like for everyone. Right, that, that's what I used to do like three years ago. That's that is what I used to do, where people used yeah. to say like once you once you once you and you could do it. This I mean all the methods that we're talking about like they're all valuable. Like there's no like yeah. there's no correct way. It's just like how do you get how do you get the tool to do what you want it to do, right? right. The lineups that you want you but. In order to to get to the level that me and you were talking about, you've already had to decide what you're going to do, yeah. right? Like you, you, right? Like you could have a hundred percent if you're like, well, I'm going to be playing more of this guy, that guy, and this guy. I'm not going to be playing this stack. I'm not going to be playing half of these defenses. And then, like, you can't just start with like I have nothing, and then like start putting in caps and numbers. And it's like, well, what lineups do you do you want, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I. What I used to do is I would crunch out 500 lineups and then whittle it down to 150. Uh, I've moved to just crunching out 150 for the most part. In most sports, I'm just using, I'm actually using the late swaptimizer tool in Fantasy Cruncher, which is just like it inserts lineups right into a sheet and you can upload it directly uh, into DraftKings, which is pretty great. Um, so yeah, I, I rarely set player caps anymore. And I think that just using some randomness and not setting caps, but letting it create lineups for me. I don't really run into the clumping issue too too frequently. Okay, you don't get like too high on lineups towards the top and too low on lineups towards the bottom. No, yeah. Well, I mean, but but you're probably not getting to that because you're making those choices to be like, yeah. like you're making those I mean, choices I'm... to begin with. Like if you're not making those choices and just saying like, like, oh, I just want to build the top 300 lineups. It's like, but only have 50% of these guys like you're not making enough choices that it's that you're gonna be clumped. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm changing a lot of things to get different while I'm making my lineup, so I don't have to run into it as much. Um, yeah, there, I mean, there's there's a ton of different ways to use the optimizer tools, I think, and um, it's it's kind of still evolving for me, I think, in some ways. Like I up until pretty recently, I was I was still using seventy percent randomness for NFL. Um, and I, what's I the point of projections that, at that point? 70%. Yeah, I know. So, so I, I recently have changed it. I've kind of been lowering it bit by bit because I'm like, this is just making it more difficult for me to get it to do what I want it to do. Like eventually I was like, man, I'm, it's just like every time it's just kind of random, which players I'm going to get too much. <laughs> um, so I think it's been 
more and more I've been, and I, and I used to do that. And then I would, that that's kind of what I would do while I was making a lot more lineups and then cutting it down to my top projected lineups. And I had different, uh, a lot went into it. I find it a lot easier to get the optimizer to do what I want it to do with lower randomness. Uh, so now sometimes it's 20%, 30%. Um, and it's, yeah, it's kind of a, something that changes every slate or every, every, and then like NBA, I'll have, I'll use 30% before lock because I just want to get a lot of different players. Uh, and then after lock, you know, big news comes out and I'll change it to 10% or something just because I want to jam in based on news, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's something that's still evolving kind of for me. How much, yeah, much different process to me. You know how much randomness I use? 5%? Zero. Oh, really? Only because I'm so, doing everything because I'm doing everything based on ownership. So like to me, to me, I want the most accurate projections. If if I, I'm either using a single source or aggregating or something like that, a weighted aggregate of some type, uh, the best projected players are the best projected players. Like I want to like I'm going to get more of a player like like in the in the really simple example type of I mean, you have to make this simple, like same players, same price, same everything. A guy in NBA projects for, you know, 38, same price, same position, whatever, and is uh, 22% owned. And the guy projects it for 38 at 11% owned, like same price, same everything. It's like, why wouldn't I want, like, why am I playing the other player at all? Yeah. So, right? so, so like, I don't want random, because if I put randomness on that, it may give me the, 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 the guy that's twice his own for the same projection. Obviously, now you never get into instances where it's that dramatic. But you understand what I'm saying. I'm going to get lineups that are that are too high owned for their projection with randomness on. So, like, I'm looking to find the lineups that, like, if I need to, if I have 60% of a guy that's going to be, like, 12% owned, but I'm using 60% because the guy really should be, like, two and a half times as owned. So I'm getting yeah. more value from playing them based on the ownership that I'm using. So I'm not going to be playing right. the guys and like, like I remember I'm also not playing 150 lineups. So I may in NBA play 40 lineups, 60 lineups, 20 lineups, you know, somewhere in that range. So it's yeah. like I'd rather just take the stand and go, who are the best plus EV plays players based on their ownership? And if that happens to be a four percent owned guy, and I have like 40 percent of him, then it's like okay, my that that's like I don't yeah. cap I don't cap them. It's just that. Like if that if if they shouldn't be that low owned or if guys are yeah. too high owned if I if I based on running lineups I see that like I'm barely getting like like the third chalkiest guy on the slate because like he's thirty six percent owned but he really he really should only be twenty like he's not yep. not much better than anywhere else it's like I may in forty lineups he may only show up in two. Yeah. It's like, so I, well, I'm, that's I mean, the way it is. I'm obviously trying to do the same thing that you are, where I'm getting less bad chalk and more good, good non-chalk, I guess. Um, and it's probably easier to do with lower randomness. Part of the reason I think that I started with a ton of randomness is because it used to be, and I, I just tested to see whether this is still true. It used to be that if you created 150 lineups or 500 lineups uh, with no randomness, it would just take forever. Like just using randomness 
really sped up Fantasy Cruncher. It looks like that is resolved now. So, so maybe I should continue lowering my randomness just to uh, get it to do more what I want. I talked to a pro, and I don't know if I should say what his name is, uh, former guest on this show, but uh, at the Tournament of Champions last year. And he told me that he doesn't use any randomness. And at the time, that blew my mind because I was like, it would take you an hour to crunch out once. Like, how do you even use no randomness? Because it was, for me, if I use no randomness, it would take so long to make the crunches. And you have to kind of throw in the randomness to let Fantasy Cruncher do what it wants. But it looks like that is, uh, it's a lot faster now. So maybe maybe I'll continue to use less and less randomness to get it to do more what I want it to do. I, also, if you if you throw in more rules, I guess that slows it down. So maybe that's right. where you need a little bit of randomness to speed it up. I just did a crunch with, with no rules at all. So I guess that that's probably why it was so fast. Right. So the same but, thing with in, same thing with Cruncher. Okay. Right, same thing with lineup HQ. Like the more the more you, you have thirty six groups and eighty four stack settings, and and yeah. you're like, okay, I want three hundred lineups with like absolutely no rant. Like I want the three hundred perfect lineups that fit this parameter. It's like good luck. Like, you're gonna be waiting for a good eight to ten minutes to get to get all three hundred of them. Yeah. Uh, and if you want twenty, then okay, that, that you could wait a minute or two. But truthfully, you probably should not have like you, you shouldn't have to that extent. I. Truthfully, my process in as far as using tools is concerned, because that's what we're talking about right now, yeah. uh, has gotten simpler. Like I, I, I say this, I say that I've, I've said this multiple times on the pregame show. It's like the more, the better you get, the process, your process actually be, should become simpler and simpler, yeah, and not more sure. complex. And people think the other way around. Like I used to set up a lot more groups in basketball mm-hmm. until I found that. The correlations are are weak enough that the, the the extra point or something that I may be getting on some like even type of thing isn't worth the time. So it's like, and I find it easier playing less amount of lineups, not three lineups, but obviously twenty to sixty somewhere in that range, maybe a hundred. With running the excellent eights, maybe I'll play a hundred into that, but I ain't playing one hundred fifty eighteen dollar lineups into a large field contest with 100,000 to first and steak knives to seventh place. Yeah, uh, that's crazy. Who would do that? Right, you would. Right, obviously. Uh, so in, using the pruning method, like instead of using the groups for that, like like not playing two centers against each other because they're that's negative correlated, but it's not even that. Like, it's like it's like depending yeah. on their prices, it, it's not it's not the biggest of deals. But instead of putting those all in and spending the time to go through every game and go, well, I wouldn't want to play Harden and Durant together and I wouldn't want to play this thing. I'm just going to make 300 lineups. And then, like, since I need to choose 60, like, one of the 240 lineups is the, I'll go through and go, let me look at my Harden lineups. Okay, this one has Durant. Get rid of it. This one, like, get rid of that stuff that way rather than force these things in from the beginning. Because there may be lineups that I look at and go, well, I never thought of that combination. You know, normally I would have, uh, you know, separated Sabonis and Brogdon, but based on their prices, like, and so and so is out and they're running an eight man rotation or some make up some reason that, yeah, maybe they both can get. I mean, if this game goes, maybe they both they both can get there, and it's not like I'm playing them in together in a hundred lineups. This one or two lineups, oh, that could be fine. Mm-hmm. And I'm grouping my. If I did a groups, I'd be, I'd be eliminating those lineup possibilities. That right. could be perfectly fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I, off, I'd say I rarely use groups in NBA at all. Like I, I probably should more than I do, but I, I typically just set a team max of you know three players from this team for most slates. I mean, it's really slate dependent how how many games there are, 
uh, that kind of thing. It's really only in situations where I know I'm going to get a ton of two guys and they negatively correlate and the field's going to get a ton of those guys. Uh, I think there are very specific situations that I use groups for NBA, but typically I just, I trust what the builder is going to do um, based on, you know, the projections, the, my, my projections versus the ownership and, and how I'm getting different from the field. I assume it's just going to make me uh, good lineups. Um, yeah, I, I guess unless I run into, as I'm saying, there are specific situations where I can see that I'm going to get too much of players who are negatively correlated. Then I'll set groups. Um, and typically, typically even then, I don't, I rarely set groups that are, uh, if I have this player, don't have this player. And I think we talked about this uh, on right. Our, you on our use boosts instead, here. right? I like, use boosts, yeah. Right. And sometimes it's negative boosts. Um, you mm-hmm. can do that as well. So I do a lot more of that than uh, black and white. If I use this player, don't use that player. Well, sometimes, well, using less lineups, like in NFL this past week, like I set three rules. Because I typically, in NFL, I don't like playing chalk one-offs. Like, I, I like, like basically, Cup, Godwin... And and Moreau, I made I basically made a rule, a conditional rule, that to only play them in stacks. So like, <laughs> like because I was because I was playing staff because my stacks were this past week, Stafford, Brady, Carr, and Cousins. So it's like okay, well I'm playing I'm playing Brady. So I don't I don't mind Godwin at twenty two percent ownership and and obviously with Brady, but to not play. Like Godwin is a one-off because then if Godwin goes off, most likely the Brady stack wins and not the Cousins stack. So like, and especially with Moreau at tight end, it's like, I don't want to play a chalk punt tight end one-off because I was playing a lot of uh, Pitts and Kittle and Gronkowski. So like, what what was it this past weekend? An example of like Godwin could have gotten there without. Oh, no, no, it's, it's more of a matter of ownership. It's not like, like I didn't mind Evans as a one-off. I didn't, I didn't mind, like, I didn't mind OBJ as a one-off. Even though mm-hmm. they're tied to the Rams, it's just that yeah. that I don't want the chalk piece. As I don't want to have a a a Stafford. I don't want to have a Stafford uh, uh, Cup Van Jefferson Godwin Moreau lineup. Like I don't like that's just okay. going to be too high. Obviously, like I said an ownership cap to like that'll end up being too high owned. But it's like why am I playing Foster Moreau as a one? Like yeah. like I can and play I suppose, James O'Shaughnessy is, instead that correlates yeah. with. The Rams at the same price, so it's like I only want to play like if Moreau's in the lineup, those are the car stacks because that makes sense. So if I'm going to play a chalk guy, let it at least be in a correlated way. Don't play yep. Cup as a one-off. Play Cup with my Stafford stacks. Play OBJ and Van Jefferson as the one-offs. Yep. But in so those I lineups, Cor- I could have Godwin because that's a Brady stack. So I could have Brady, Godwin, Gronkowski, yeah, yeah. OBJ. I don't want Cup there. I don't want Gibson in that lineup. I don't want Moreau in that lineup. Like. Like I just don't want all the chalk pieces together, so yeah, like I get that. So, so I think you need to be more exact because you are making fewer lineups. Whereas I sort of just trust that it's going to work itself out as long as I get different from the field in terms of my individual player exposures. And I, obviously, I set rules like quarterback stacking and bringbacks and limiting number of players from a team. I, I set various rules, but I think that I am a lot less exact than you are in terms of my groupings. And you know, I, I, I'm never going to say don't play this wide receiver unless it has the quarterback um, just because I'm making so many lineups. I think that sometimes it makes sense to have that that's wide right. receiver without the quarterback. So I guess maybe, maybe that's the the difference here is that you're, but I was only like yesterday, yesterday I, I, I only made 18 lineups for GPPs. 
Okay, yeah. So it's in like I'm, case, I'm making the 18 lineups I want to make. So it's like yeah. if I had a choice between this lineup with Godwin and a one-off or this lineup without Godwin, like 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 if I were to yeah. prune down from 300, I'd get rid of all those lineups anyway. So like I'm just going to put in the, the rule to not have play Foster Moreau as a one-off because I'm just yeah. going to remove those lineups you. anyway. As I recall, on the uh, on the showdown slate that I won with uh, Donald Parham and uh, and Jared Cook, I think you said on the next show that you think that you would have had that exact lineup, except you cut it out because of that negative correlation. So right, the two tight ends in the same lineup. The hundred fifty, clearly. Right, but I was only playing like eight lineups that slate. I, th- yeah, I think yeah. that's the point. Yeah. Right, between the eight lineups, it's like, well, if I had to choose between this lineup and that lineup, and they're both about the same projected, and they're both about the same ownership, why am I going to play two of the same tight, two of the guys that probably come off the field for each other in the yeah. same lineup? So it's like, eh, get rid of it. That's also something that, uh, I mean, Showdown, we talked about this a little bit, but Showdown's a little bit different because you're trying to get unique, and sometimes you have to embrace those negative negative mm-hmm. leverage situations. Right, you got to play um, three Patriots more. running backs in the same lineup. Just just do it. Oh, yeah. Who cares? Did that work yesterday? Is that, did that win yesterday? <laughs> I don't know if that won, but Mac Jones only threw the ball five, three times. I couldn't, yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting game. I hated it. <laughs> well, I, hate, I, I closed the laptop once uh, Damien Harris ran for 63 yards for a touchdown. Yeah, I mean, I was I was essentially dead at that point. I actually I said on on my live stream yesterday, if Gabriel Davis does well, I'm going to have a real shot at the millie, uh, because I had like 28 percent and the field was at six percent, right. but I had zero percent, zero shot at the millie after Damian Harris's touchdown. Like I think I was 15 points out of first, despite having well over the field on the one uh, low owned play that did did do well. So that's uh, that was frustrating. Yeah, but that showdown. That, I mean that is showdown. That, that's yeah. a, I love showdown. Showdown is. I think showdown is my favorite format at this point. I think showdown is my absolute favorite. But uh, but I understand that it's just. I mean, it's happened to me several times this year. I've been like, I'm winning a hundred thousand dollars with a minute left, and then I win. I lose money on the slate. Right. You're li- right. You're like you're not time. even winning yeah. less money. You're actually li- yeah. you lose. You're down thirty percent on the slate after yeah. being in first place with literally two plays to go in the game. Yep. And sometimes right. it's just like a random shitty thing that happens that doesn't really affect the outcome of the game. It's garbage time. Yeah, that's that showdown. Well, I, I remember what last week, like, I didn't someone lose a bunch, like, on that Deontay Harris. It's like, that was not even point. Like, he had like a 60-yard touchdown reception for the Saints. Huh. Like, on the end of that game oh, yeah, or whatever, yeah. like, it was like, well, obviously the Saints are down by like two and a half touchdowns, you know, like. Yeah, but, there, there was a guy, who, I think it was Solo winning the Millie. Yeah, where those guys solo winning the melee with two minutes left, and there's like no reason that anything needs to happen in this game the rest of the way. These teams can kind of call it quits. The game is over, and then yeah, sixty yard touchdown pass, and it's yeah, he's he's gone. Right, (laughs) that's rough. So what what do the tools say? Do people don't get frustrated with you in the in the, like the YouTube chat or whatever? Where, they do. They do. Oh, they so do. That, okay. That is. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, I didn't really. I, I just started reading the chat a little bit the past couple weeks, um, and that that is a comment that uh, <laughs> somebody made. Uh, I forget what the comment was. I posted about it on on Twitter. Somebody said something along the lines of, "I'm being held hostage," and he pistol whips me every time somebody says the word the uh, boom probability or something like that. So they, they've started razzing me a little bit about it, um, but. I'm on an awesome show, uh, and it's sad. I, I do the Saturday show, and I figure that's kind of the first time that the tools are really relevant. Like up until then, all the guys leading up to the, the show, so they do strategy shows throughout the week, and they're talking football. And those guys are a lot better than I am about talking football. They get into the weeds with like the offensive linemen, the the linebackers on various teams, and that's not really how I play. I mean, I play based on the tools. 
and I happen to be on the Saturday show where the tools are the most relevant. So I think it makes sense for me to talk about what the tools are saying on Saturday. Um, they didn't even tell me that. It's just kind of how I naturally play anyway. I'm I'm playing DFS. I'm not playing football. I, I don't know. It's uh... Right. Well, we both play the same way. I mean, I, it's the same yeah. thing on the RG shows, right? It's just like... Like do you, you realize you subscribe to the site. You could you could look you could look at the. I'm not showing you anything that. <laughs> yeah. Here's here's what it says, right? I mean, then just like okay, it's fifteen percent shot, and he's only going to be twelve percent owned. So that seems like that seems like something you, you could take yeah. home with, right? You say you take yeah. a look at, at you know the boom bust probability on, on at Osimo, and we have the set. Roto grinders have smash percentage. It's the same, right. same, same concept. Obviously, same because of this industry, you always have to come up with a different name for it, so it doesn't feel like you're copying or whatever. It's yeah. all the same. It's all the same stuff, uh, and it's like conceptually, right? Concept, like I try to teach concepts. Like that's right. the whole point of the course. Of like, I think I think a lot of people get too wrapped up in the preciseness. Yeah, but right. like preciseness is good after you have the directional. Like that's what I, I'm trying to move more into the precise. Like, okay, I already know the concepts. Now, how do I make make my process more precise? How do I make it more efficient? How am I able? Yep. Can I play three sites slates across three sites now? You know, like try to make it more efficient. But you still have to get the concept of just in general. If the guy's boom probability or smash percentage is higher than their ownership, that's probably positive. That they're they're that's probably a good player to play. Right, and if the yeah, player has a less shot at being in the optimal lineup or the boom probability or whatever you want to call it, and he's over, and he's over, like Foster Moreau is an eight percent shot shot at the optimal, and he's going to be thirty two percent on. Like that's probably that's probably not 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 a good play. It doesn't mean you can't play them because they still have an eight percent shot. It's just like how I address it is that you could still play guys that are over owned. You just realize that you have to make up the negative leverage. With positive, with higher positive leverage players in the rest of your lineup, right? Because yeah, still, yeah, raw points sense. matter. Because you can set, get plenty of slates. We have plenty of NBA slates that sometimes, sometimes, uh, several of the chalk pieces are overowned because there's like there's not much value on the slate to begin with. So one point right. in projection just dramatically matters so much more. But then you yeah. look and you go like half the half the half the player pool is like like. Like it's all negative. It's all like it's all, everyone is overowned for their for their things. So how do you build lineups? It's like, well, if you're gonna play the most overowned, you have to play some of the least, you know, the most underowned, or at least the yeah. not under. Like you're gonna have to play someone off the board more. So it's just like that. That's the whole point of like lineups, not players. Of like, we're not yeah, going yeah. over. Like if like no one said uh, on Sunday that Foster Moreau is a bad play from a median perspective. But in GPPs, yeah. I thought he was like the worst one-off you could possibly was play terrible. on the slate. I think I had 2% Foster Moreau, and I was kind of talked into playing some Foster Moreau a little bit. Because, I mean, he, he had that huge game earlier in the year. Mm -hmm. And I remember that because I had a ton of Foster Moreau, the game that he did go off. I was pretty Yeah, because he was 8% down because it was a late yeah, swap thing, right? No one had him, right? Yeah, of and I was like, that's going to be a great play. So I had a ton of Foster Moreau, whereas yesterday it was like, everybody has him, and he could just completely dud. And there's a lot of other tight ends that look really good. So I was like, yeah, I'm not, not going to play a lot of Foster Moreau. And that obviously went well for me. Um, I played him in DK cash. NBA. I mean, that was fine yeah. from immediate. Like, so, like, like there's a difference between like comparing like boom probability or smash percentage, whatever that type of thing uh, that you're geared, that's geared primarily towards ceiling outcomes, 80, yep. 80th, 85th, 90th percentile outcomes. Yep. And 
the distributions of players are going to be different. The standard deviations of players are different. So like Moreau, for instance, like I, I Adam Adam was discussing this on the on the end of review show. Like mm-hmm. Moreau was a bad GPP play in a vacuum, not because his median was bad, is because his ceiling was poor in comparison to the opportunity cost of one roster slot on your in your lineup. You only right. get nine roster slots, so for raw point ceiling, he's going to be way over-owned because it's yeah. like if he puts up 12 points, that's actually above his median outcome, but 12 right. points in a lineup of nine pl- nine slots yeah. is not is not that it's not really that good when you're trying to and win also, a large field GPP. So in at the tight end spot, there are weeks where that might be totally fine, mm. but it just so happened that on this Sunday, there were a lot of other tight ends that looked like they could smash. So it didn't make sense on that particular site. There might be another slate where that 12 points is going to be all that you need. Right. Um, and you can, you can kind of tell going into the slate, whether that's the case. Right. When you say, t- when you look, when you, we have a tight end slate where it's like, uh, it's either John Bates or Jared cook or like this, yeah. like there's no like high end. Okay. When the high, when like Dallas Goddard is like the, the highest, you know, price, tight end it's like i guess you could play Dallas goddard at 5800 it's like i don't know about that but yeah. like those are the slates but when you have like when you have gronk and kittle and pitts and everyone is going down and paying for for a cheap tight end like like the the likelihood of it's it's, it's the same thing at wide receiver i mean i view the same thing like when people go down and say like i'm going to when people go and I'm going to play Jawan Jennings at 3100 as a one-off or something like go mm-hmm. like you're just how many points do you think this guy is going to get like right. like well if he, if he if he gets 9 points that's 3x said but it's not but you only have 9 roster slots so only getting 9 points out of one of your slots uh, assuming that it's not a defensive slot because then you yeah. then you're fine with it uh it's not good it's like I'd yeah. rather I'd rather instead of having a nine K guy to nine K two nine K guys or whatever, seven to nine K guys and that three K guy, I'd rather have three six K guys that all have a have a reasonable possibility of putting up thirty five points. Oh, for sure. Yeah, than having that the, the little the cheap the cheap three K receiver that it's like, well, maybe maybe Deshaun Jackson catches a long pass. It's like those are the types of guys I'm I, I have no problem playing in stacks. Because at least right. they correlate with, like, if he gets, that receiver gets 14 points, most likely the quarterback may actually be the a 32-point quarterback, and then the other guy in the lineup also has 32 points, and the price combined makes it worth it. But, like, as those one-off types, it's like, like, why am I playing Deshaun Jackson as a one-off? Well, he could go two for yeah. 100 with a touch. Like, so, he could. So here's what I will, what I'll say about this um, is, so, yeah, those, those cheap wide receivers, I actually play a lot of them, but I typically only play them uh, if I think that there is, obviously, if I think that there is a high ceiling. So as you say, you're all, you're concerned about the ceiling, but how can you really tell? So I, so for me, I play them. I actually, I played some Jawan Jennings this past weekend because he was not owned at all. And he had ascended to be the number two receiver in San Francisco. Uh, and with l- losing all of Debo's volume, I thought he's got some chance at actually being like really involved here and catching, you know, six balls for a hundred yards. Um, I thought the ceiling was there. And I think that, for me, I didn't, at least, I didn't. you don't think so? No. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, I didn't play a ton of Jawan Jennings, so I'm not uh, super. But at least he was lower owned, but especially the ones where, like, yeah. I, th- I think, like, Josh Reynolds, like, at his ownership, yeah, yeah. like, I'm not going to play him as a, like, yeah, if you want to play him as the run back 
in uh, in a Minnesota. Like I, I think I played him like in a Cousins, uh, Thielen, Jefferson, Reynolds type of lineup or something like that. Like okay, it, it yeah. to me it's more of that. Like a Jawan Jennings would make more sense in a Garoppolo Jennings Kittle Metcalf sure. lineup. Like then as the singular one off player because they're just the opportunity. Like if the game goes off, I just want as many people from the game. Yeah. And I just so happen to have a cheap piece in it. It's the same concept of playing the cheap tight end as part of your stack. Because if like if all the tight ends are kind of equal and shitty, like you might as well just play Tyler Conklin with Cousins and Cook with Herbert. Because like, yeah. why are you going to play Moreau as a one off when you can play Cook for three hundred more that correlates with your your quarter with your quarterback? To me, I view the receivers kind of the same way. And to me, it's even worse because the opportunity cost of wide receivers so high. Yeah, but receivers are also so variable, though. So I, I feel like there are some you can find low-owned, really cheap receivers who do have at least some chance of going off. I guess maybe maybe it's a rare thing, so maybe it's not even really worth going into. Jawan Jennings, you used him as an example, so it just kind of piqued my interest because I think that he was a player that I played a little bit of just because I thought, you know, he's got some chance. He's going to be probably the number two receiver there. I think that he's got at least some opportunity to go off at, I think he was under 1% owned. So that was a situation where I thought it was worth, he's got a greater than 1% probability, I think, of have, putting up an actual like ceiling score of 100 yards and a touchdown. But yeah, but I think if, Jen, if Jennings that. has 100 yards and a touchdown, Garoppolo has like 30 points. Like Yeah, yeah, no, that, like that that's, that's that guy. And then you could pair him up with Kittle, pay up at tight end. And now Kittle also has 100 yards. And now... Now the 49ers stack is good. Like, I, I'm just, I'm not a fan of the cheap, unless they're obviously like, like if they like, oh, we're going to price Cooper Cup at 3,600. It's like, yeah, well, well, yeah, yeah. You're going to play Cooper Cup. That's not a cheap receiver. That's just a completely mispriced receiver. Right, right. right. Like the, the guys that I could play cheaply are the running backs. Yeah. I don't mind taking shots at $4,500 running backs that, that are, you know, maybe walking into 60, 80% shares of their work, even if they play for shitty teams. I played right. David Johnson last, like there's not this past week, but the yeah. week before. It's like, because the op at, at at running back, there's so much touchdown variance that it's like any 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 running back that is going to see red zone carries could go for twenty could go for twenty points on any slate, right. and and so it's like to me anything past six thousand sixty five hundred in running back. That's all ceiling. Like that's not you don't yep. play them for floor. You play them completely for ceiling. So, yep. so like, I take a look at someone like uh, you know you take a look at uh, at uh, even this past late like Jamal Williams, and then you go well what's the difference between Jamal Williams and Rex Burkhead really? Like on oh. that slate, like really? I so I had a ton of Jamal Williams. I thought that he was no, well, but I'm, I'm not saying top. that Jamal Williams was a bad play. I, I I had a ton of Jamal Williams also, but I'm okay. saying. On this past slate, we had so many running backs to choose from. You're not playing fucking Rex Burkhead, right? But I'm talking oh, about God, on a normal, on a normal, if everyone yeah, was yeah. like efficiently priced, yeah. like you like, do you take the Lions running back or do you take the Texans running back within yeah. the similar price range with a similar type of workload? It's like, like they're both crap. Like I think Adrian Peterson's 4,700 this coming slate. It's like, what's the difference between him and any, any like just yardage and touchdown dependent running back? Like Adrian right. Peterson could put up twenty points for the seat. He could, right? And if he's going to be one percent owned, why not play? I mean, like, like yeah. you, I always because I, I, I always get into that when I did the stu the stupid Saturday stuff, where some some chalk running some guy some guy some fifty Miles Sanders is chalk, and I go, what's the difference between Miles Sanders and David Johnson? And no one could answer the question. And I go, yeah, you're playing my well the matchup. 
Like, how much is the Met? Okay, so you're going to play a 5,100-mile Sanders. That's going to be 28% owned. David Johnson is 300 cheaper, has the same exact target share and rushing share for a pretty shitty team in not in, the, in a mid decent not horrible matchup and he's going to be 4% owned like what is there that dramatic of a difference between they both suck right like it's more of a not like they're both good it's like no they both suck i mean i think miles sanders is actually good as a player but not not in the role that yeah, yeah, mean, as, as the i'm talking about a dfs okay. like yeah yeah the fact that he got 20 points that uh, on sunday and i played a bunch of them was a miracle yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Sunday was a unique slate in that you couldn't really get too different at running back uh, because just. Well, you like could get was, different. There were like ten guys to choose from. You get heavily. Yeah, different. yeah. I, I actually, I guess that's true. But they were all at least like eight percent owned. I think. Right. Right. There was no. There was no one sitting there at two percent. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you didn't need to get too far off the board. Like some weeks, I get really far off the board at running back. Actually, I think I played some Boston Scott, which was just a huge mistake. Um, not a ton because. Sonny Michelle came out and I had 85% of him or something. But, right. Um, yeah, there, there are some slates where I try and find diamonds in the rough at running back, but that's more when it's like, I don't really love any of the right. other cheap options. And that's a good way to get your, get different lineups, get different lineup instructions by finding this diamond in the rough. Whereas there were just too many options on this past Sunday that were one of them, two of them, we're going to smash. So three of them. Was I mean, our, right. I'm just yeah. jamming in three of them. And there were so many. Yeah. Right. I probably should have done more than that. I, I think I, I think I did uh, play some Boston Scott, but that was just, uh, it wasn't really smart. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it got zero points. So yeah, it was, it didn't work out either. Right. I'm, 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 I'm much more like, I, I'm similar to you. Like when the more that the pricing is efficient, the more efficient the pricing is, the more likely that I get different at running back and not at wide receiver. Yeah. Like it, it could, and people, I, I think people don't understand that the ceilings for running backs are more touchdown dependent while the ceilings yeah. at wide receiver aren't. Yeah. Cause look, Godwin was 15 for 150, 43. Didn't even have a fucking touchdown. Keenan Allen scored yeah. two touchdowns and wasn't even close to the, the highest scoring wide receivers on the slate. Yep. Right. So it's like, to me, the wide receivers, like I, like a guy like Deontay Johnson and Cooper cup and, you know, the, the Justin Jefferson, like, dude, I could get 20 points out of them without a touchdown. So, like, I'm not, 20 points out of a running back without a touchdown is fucking difficult, right? Yeah. Especially, and, unless you have, you know, the the CMC, you know, the guys that catch, like, eight yeah. balls out of the backfield. CMC, Najee Harris with his 19 targets in a game. Right, right. Maybe. Like, yeah. that, then I could see it, but outside Pretty of that, I mean. Pretty there, though. Right, yeah. but, but the difference between a 7K running back and a 5K running back is all just touchdown variants of like, to me, it's, it's the team total. It's like, like, well, who, who's more likely to be closer to the end zone? Like yep. that's the difference in price and the variance of how teams could play. Like who's, who says the Texans can't put up two touch? Like, dude, you don't even need, they don't even have to win. Right. Just get David yeah. Johnson go, goes, goes 16 for 80 catches three balls out of the backfield and has two touchdowns. It's like, and he's, and he's sitting there at like 4,500. It's like that's yeah. more likely to happen than t- playing uh, Chris Conley on the Texans and him getting to twenty five points. Like, like when does that happen? Like he just—it's just he's not going to get the opportunities. Like unless it's just right. two broken plays. I mean, unless it's just like obviously that you can't just you can't play a guy just like well maybe he could break. Like 
You're not playing the fifth wide receivers on 12 game main slates going. Yeah, well, yeah. maybe in in the in the, in his six snaps that he does yeah. catch what that's a showdown mentality. Yeah, I love doing it for showdown, but yeah, for main slates, just not worth it. There's so many so many great options already. Um, yeah, I agree. We're talking a lot of NFL. I'm uh, I'm curious if if what I assume to be true is true that uh, touting NBA must be the hardest sport. Would no, you, it's the easiest sport because you don't have to do anything. <laughs> I mean, until look at the projections. I don't know, but people ask me yeah. stuff at eleven o'clock in the morning, and I go, "Dude, I don't. We don't know. All right. What okay. do I know? So, eight hours from now, we me, barely know what's going on. Fifteen minutes before the slate locks. People ask, let, let look me, at the projections. Then, let me change my statement and see if you still say the same. Okay. Uh, touting NBA in the hour before lock seems like it would be the hardest sport to tout. Because for me. There's so much changing so quickly in that hour before lock on most slates that you really need to get into the weeds of like looking at the different rotations and what is the coach going to do here with this player out? Who's going to slide into the starting lineup? Who's going to get more minutes? That kind of stuff. So like NBA is a sport that for me, I rely on other people way more than any other sport. NFL, MLB, I'm kind of doing it on my own. NBA, I'm always, I'm watching a show. I'm listening to what they're saying because I know that they have done their research, that they know what the rotations are going to be. I'm a lot more locked in on what other people are saying for NBA. Um, I do the same for any sport. I mean, look at at the projections. Yeah, I mean, I don't like, dude, I don't watch anything. Like what, I mean, I watch Red Zone. Right Even for NBA. Oh, you don't watch any sports, I see. Right. I mean, I don't. I don't like uh, the only sport I watch the most often now is MMA. I don't wow. even follow only because I I enjoy the sweat of MMA on Saturdays. It's a one whatever. I'll watch soccer in the morning. I'll always watch soccer. So soccer is my favorite sport to begin with. But dude, I don't even remember the last time I watched an NBA game. NFL. Really? NFL. I would not these island games. If it wasn't for Showdown and nothing else on TV, oh, yeah. I would never watch these things. These are, this is, this, but the commercials, and at least on Red Zone, you're like, oh, okay, they're bouncing around and everything. But, but, but do you watch them because of DFS? I mean, yeah, no, I watch, I watch D- if it wasn't for DFS, I, I wouldn't be watching it. any of this shit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, probably me neither. D- depending on who's playing, there, I, I wouldn't watch too many, or I mean, regular fantasy sports too. I, I used to be super invested just because I loved season long uh, fantasy football. But, I end up watching football all day Sunday. I watch Monday night. I watch Thursday night because of, you know, all that I have at stake. Am I, am I echoing now? I'm hearing myself. No, no, you're fine. Okay. You're fine. Um, I was, I'm hearing myself like a second later. Now, now it's gone. So that's good. Um, Yeah. So I I end up watching football all day Sunday. I watch it Monday. I watch it Thursday. Yeah, but you're watching the the games and really you're sweating. There's a difference between watching and sweating. I'm enjoying them. Yes. Right. Right. You're doing it for entertainment. You're not doing it for like getting research or anything. You're not watching like that. To me, that's the difference. Like I don't mind like for you to say, I watch Thursday night football, which is your, it's horrible. If you were to put on Netflix or something or a TV show or something, it's the same thing you're watching because why not? Because you you have money at stake and you're watching, but you're not watching going i'm going to see what the i mean you, you're not using it and taking notes for future use or something no, like cuz you you can get the same information online pretty easily right. i mean if you're watching to see like the snap counts you can find the actual numbers online so there's yeah you don't really get a ton out of watching the games i agree with that right I don't and a lot of times you get bias but you, i i do well in mma because i cuz cuz i don't watch the tape yeah right there's so many like i mean so many times like I, i'm i'm in other discords like uh and and I'm like, well, I'm playing a lot of this guy and that guy and this woman. 
was like, why? It's like, well, they're, they're, they're inside the distance line is like three times higher than their ownership. It's like, yeah, but they, they, but they're, they're likely like, they haven't had a finish. Uh, There was one guy I played, I think this was a couple of months ago that literally did not have a finish for seven years. Right. For like seven, like, and he was like one of the biggest underdogs on the slate, but he was like 5% owned and is like inside the distance line was like, like 17%, which is still one of the lowest on the slate, but it's like, like, but he's 5% owned. Right. And and if he finishes inside the distance, you're more likely to get a hundred plus points and he's like 6,900. So it's like, I'm going to have like 20% of this guy. Right. Like, like the math just says, that's what I should be doing. And then, right. And then people are like, you're an idiot because this guy, this guy, he'll win a decision. He'll get, he'll get 65 points. And he, even if he does win a decision, the guy is not a finisher. He goes down and has a first round finish and has like 127 points and you Nobody need to have him. Yeah. Right. And no yeah. one has him. Of course, I didn't win, win that slate. I've still made a lot of money on that slate, but it's like, did I have to watch like they, but afterwards they have to tell me that like, like if, if he was such a bad finisher, why is the why is the betting market saying that he's seventeen percent? Like, like right. that's the rationale that I have. It's like I'm I'm going by kind of the efficient market hypothesis, kind of like like whatever you say. Like because I especially in MMA with people that like know the fighters and watch the fights, and they and they go could people over dramatic dramatize go oh this this guy this fight's gonna go to decision this guy this guy doesn't have any power. It's like well he's like. He's twenty eight percent to finish inside the distance. His his KO prop is is twelve percent, and he's going to be owned at like eight percent or so. He's going to be low owned or something like that. It's like yeah, but that's a very low probability. I said yeah, but my goal isn't to build the most probable lineups; it's to build the most profitable right. lineups. Yeah, right. The most so like probable I, lineups are going to be duped a thousand times. Right, exactly. Or I and it's not like when I say it's like oh, I'm going to be playing them in you know and in MMA I typically play a hundred and fifty lineups or at least a hundred into the large field. And I'll have, you know, there'll be a guy that's 15% owned that I have 40% of. And it's just like, if he's the best value, if that's, and I just have to look at the betting markets and like, what, what else do I have to look at? Like, but that same mentality works for any other sport. I mean, if you trust the model, whatever that model is, and you're getting success out of that model, then what, I mean, like, like you said, the hour before lock in NBA, what is there to tout? You know what my touting would be? Wait, like, and I do it in the RG Discord. Wait for the projections to update, right? Because we have a team. We we have seven people that are doing that behind the scenes already that know yeah. that do watch the games and know everything. Let them do it. Wait for the numbers yeah. to come out and then build your lineups. But don't you run into some situations occasionally where you can't wait, like because maybe it's not updating. Like sometimes, sometimes the lineups won't update because so it's like a. It's a 6.30 game, right? So you, it, it's not totally relevant before 6 o'clock, but it will change what I want to do with the 6 o'clock game. So sometimes I know if, if information comes out at 5.55, uh, I, I don't really know what to do if I if I because I don't really know all of the rotations, all of the coaches' tendencies. Um, and sometimes the uh, projections don't update before 6 o'clock. They'll update before 6.30, before the, the game in question comes up. But I want to know before 6 o'clock because it's going to affect my exposures to the 6 o'clock players as well. So there are some situations where I think I want to hear what they're saying on oh, the true, shows. True, because... true, but you're also describing why I'm not playing NBA DFS until NFL is over. Okay. You're not playing NBA DFS? I haven't played in three weeks. Wow, okay. I didn't realize that. No, the the, the main reason is not, I, I like being in the groove of things. 
Yeah. I, I'm much I'm much better when I could do a repetitive thing every like be aware of what's going on. Uh yep. this season for NFL, I do the Monday and Thursday showdown shows, which are during NBA lock, which are, I mean are essentially yeah. right. I don't play I don't play when I have a show, so I don't play right. on Monday nights. Right. And then I then Sunday is football. So I typically don't play NBA on Sundays. Saturday is soccer and MMA. I don't play multiple sports at once, right? So now now I'm eliminated four days of playing NBA. And then one of those other days that I'm free is typically a personal, like, go out to dinner with my wife type of day, right? And then it's like, okay, now I have two two days? Like, but I don't know what the hell's going on. It's like, I'd rather just play, like, baseball during the summer, like in August. It's, like, beautiful. It's, like, just every day. It's just one thing. Ding, stack, 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 stack. You know, you know exactly what's going on. Who's being called up from the minors? What's the, the yep. you know, the rotations for the, the pitching? And you're fine. In NBA, it's, it's, I don't know what the hell's going on. I'd rather just play every day. So until I could play Mondays and Thursday nights also, yep. then at least I could play Monday through Friday. And then I could play Sunday because NFL is over. So it's like, so the only day I don't play is Saturday. It's like, okay, six days a week. That's perfectly fine because of what you're describing. It's like, I don't want to, like not be used to that chaos and then yeah. just enter it like every Tuesday and Wednesday and be like, like, I, I mean, I agree. I, I like to be in the groove of things too, but I'm still not doing it. I'm not doing my own research for NBA. I'm not going out and looking at the rotations myself. Typically I'm relying on what other people are telling but it's still me. Cha- but no matter what, it's still chaos. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's always chaos. Yeah. right. It's always I mean, like, understand, like understand that from, from seven o'clock Eastern, Till the last game blocks, there's, there's, they just don't even bother getting up from your computer. Like, just don't even, bo- like, yeah. like, there's no point. Like, you can't, I can't even sit on the couch. And if you're sitting on the couch and you're watching, you're dealing with something else in the back of your head is like, I'm expecting an alert at any time that anything is going to happen. And I'm going to have to rush back to the computer, download my lineups again and start moving stuff around. It's like, do I want to do, th- if I'm going to do that, let me get used to doing that six days a week instead of just doing it twice a week, just out of nowhere and just like yeah. I could, what the DFS is always going to be there, so I'll just let so, it be there. I posted on Twitter uh, maybe a few weeks ago my my ROI by day, which uh, right I, I, would, I don't think is a particularly <laughs> useful metric, no. but I will say Wednesday is by far my worst day, or not by far. I guess Tuesday is kind of bad too, but Wednesday is my worst ROI day. That also happens to be the day that I go and watch basketball at my brother's house every week, uh, and I I think there might be correlation there because I'm not sitting around on my computer thinking a lot about the slate. I'm adjusting if I need to, but mostly watching for enjoyment. And I kind of wonder if that's the thing that's holding me back on Wednesday is just that I'm watching the game rather than listening to shows and like trying to. Are, are you, are you negative on that day? I am now. I, so when I posted, it was, I was 0.07% or, or something like that positive ROI. And I think that I've, I've lost that since <laughs> I think I'm maybe 0.07%. Uh, negative ROI. You, you, the, you like know the it. weird thing? I just pulled up my rotor tracker. The only day that I'm negative is Wednesday also. <laughs> okay. So maybe it's a... What? What is there a reach? What? Well, I think... I mean, no, it, no, no. Hold on. No. NBA thing. Yeah. No, no. We're, we're, we're leaving out the data. You have to explain this. Now, football only exists on Sundays, Mondays, and Thursdays. So Wednesday can never be football, right? Yep. Except for maybe there was one COVID game or something on Wednesday. Uh, Wednesday can never be MMA, for me at least. Wednesday can never be golf. If you play golf, I don't know if you do. I barely play golf. Rarely, uh, yeah. Wednesday 
So, uh, Wednesday soccer Champions League, which I play once in a while. So, like, Wednesday essentially is only NBA and MLB, right? Yep. Okay. And if, you play, and if you're playing just GPPs or whatever, like, it's very easy if you're playing just GPPs. Even if you bink over the course of five years, like, 14 times, that only one of them happened to be on Wednesday. Like, like to me, yep. it doesn't to me it doesn't stand out as anything other than like since I obviously also play cash games. Like Wednesday would be a day that I typically don't play that much cash games. I don't play an MLB, so it'd be just basically Wednesday is more of a GPP day in general. Yep, and it's uh, yeah. I don't know that I've ever binked on a Wednesday. I could be wrong. I don't think I've ever had a big bink on a Wednesday. Maybe I have, and I. It's well, just that, that's the reason why you're negative. That's why the reason why it's. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, and and I might have too, and it's just I play. I think it's also I think I uh, oftentimes Wednesday, so it's usually ten plus NBA games, right? And oftentimes they will put out uh, more enticing tournaments outside of the main one too. I think right. so. Sometimes I fall into the trap of I'm going to play the five fifty five today because it's two hundred thousand to first, uh, and, and you know I, I fall into those traps, and I think that I don't play those games as well as just the you know fifteen dollar MME slate so i think that might be part of it too is i just kind of get ahead of myself because of the tournaments that they put out there and it's also such chaos with 10 plus games that it's kind of hard to really uh i don't know make unique lineups i i I guess that's not true should be easier to make unique lineups maybe harder to make unique good lineups with that many games right yeah wednesday i i i'm i'm down in my career i'm down a little over sixteen thousand dollars on wednesday Yep. Minus minus four point nine six percent. I have not I don't think I've updated my roto tracker, so I can't I can't do it right now. I know that I am negative because I've lost both Wednesdays and I was up like five hundred dollars total and I've right. lost over, you know, a few thousand at least on Wednesdays since then. I'm profitable so. on every on every on every given on every day. Yep. Barely on Monday. Monday Mondays Mondays aren't looking good. Yep. Mondays I'm I'm teetering on Mondays. I'm mostly a weekend guy, so that's uh, and I just had a bink on a couple Saturdays ago, which I have not updated for. Uh, in I'm Roto a weekend Tracker, guy, but... also. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I had a very big MMA hit this year, so that that's going to bake. Yeah, my most profitable day is Saturday, then Friday, and then Tuesday. Yep. So for me, it's Sunday by a mile. Yes, obviously. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Yep. When you win a million on Sunday, that that'll do it. Yeah, that's going to do it. Um, Oh, this isn't what I was looking for. I was trying to find it, but uh, is it under cohort? Yeah, co- yes, cohort weekday. Cohort weekday. Okay. None, none of this. If ever, if anyone's listening or watching and sees that there's any value in finding out which day of the week that you're most profitable, it, it does it does nothing. We're doing this purely out of out of our own entertainment. Yeah, I mean, it, it does like like we were saying. It tells you which sports you're good at, maybe, but you can look at that separately. Right. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah, Sunday and Saturday by far my best days, and then Monday, Thursday, Tuesday, I'm I'm barely profitable Wednesday I am now in the negative so you take those um, days off that means you take those days that means you can't think on those days that's true those are those are my bad days I'm just right. not feeling it on those days I should just not play right you play yeah. double the volume on the weekends yeah really only Saturday and Sunday is when I Saturday Sunday Monday is really the only days that I need to play based on my results or, or how about just Sundays I mean Sunday yeah that's right I have over 100% ROI on Sundays might right. as well just keep going for those millies Right, just and then all you play is the mill because that's your number one EV content. Yeah, right. right. Like, yeah, <laughs> so that's all you play ever because. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Very useful. 
You're very useful. What day of the week? What made yeah. you even look at that to begin with? I was looking for something. I think I was looking for a month because I've had a ton of big, uh, big wins in the month of October. And I was just curious to see how different the month of October was versus other months. Cause that was my first six figure win was in October. My first, uh, my Millie was in October. And then I think my 300,000 from this year was also in October. So I was just curious to see what my ROI was in October versus other months. And I don't think I ever found it, but, uh, so basically, okay, you're, you're trying. So basically, you've learned for twenty. You're, you've learned for twenty twenty two. Yeah. That you should only be playing on October weekends. Exactly. <laughs> Much higher volume on in October. That's all I got to do. No, you don't even wait. No, you just wait. You wait. Oh yeah, only play. October right, right. You, why bother? Why put it in the most EV spots? You save your entire bankroll for weekends in yeah. October, and that's it. Yeah, that's right. Playoff MLB showdown, NBA beginning of the season. Uh, MMA, if you play, do you play MMA? Uh, I have played it a few times. Um, I think that I would need to get a little bit more in the weeds. I think I, I mean, your process is obviously great. I think it's a pretty unique process. All that I've done when I play MMA is kind of the same thing that I do for showdown and just mm -hmm. limit, uh, put a salary cap in and try to get, you know, different on different players. But there's no, there's not even any correlation in MMA. It's right. Only, well, that's why I said it's, so it's like no showdown. Like to me, it's. To me, it's almost the easiest sport to play because yeah, that the, there is no the the correlation is massive. You don't play two guys from the same fight. That's true, they're, yeah, right? There's now, that one piece of correlation. Every once in a while, though, there is there are there are times where a losing fighter ends up in the optimal lineup. Yes, that that yep. you don't have to go into that, but most likely you're not playing both. So it's like you have a slight. You know, we have a what, UFC, whatever the hell coming up, pay per view, fifteen fights. Probably one will get canceled because one or two always COVID or someone backs out or something. And then it's just a matter of like, just make as many non-duplicated lineups or less duplicated lineups that you can and, uh, and go for broke because it's MMA and one punch can change anything, right? Yep. Yeah, it sounds right. I just don't have any kind of process in place and you i mean it's usually on saturday right so it's usually when i'm out doing stuff anyway so i think that's part saturday of it's your best play. it's one of your best days that's true but i play i, I play I, I have to focus on nba on saturday because it's been my best day playing nba on saturday so maybe that's why i gotta okay. i gotta keep doing what's making me money instead of switching it up and trying to trying to play mma instead okay well i, I think that best thing for my edge is to keep you out of playing mma anyway maybe I, i've never been any good at it so <laughs> Yeah, is, it, is it any you probably good? want things to stay status quo in general. Right. But is it because you you're not making any. uniques? I mean, I'm trying to make uniques. I am. I'm sorry. But the, my only really way of doing that, that I've tried. It's by capping salary. Is, so you're not, there are, fit, there salary. are lineups that could be of any salary range that still are either under five dupes or, or some, I mean, I've built lineups that spent all the salary on large slates that were unique. Yeah. That I mean, I, and I would look and I go, how did no one build this lineup? So I also do change my, just like any other sport, I change projections to get exposures that make sense to me based on, uh, based on projected ownership. But I have no way of really knowing what's good and what's bad shock in MMA like I do in, I feel like I have some idea in other sports. Right. And I guess that there's, maybe there's a boom bust tool. I can't remember if I've ever used that for Yeah, MMA. there's an optimal, on there's an optimal lineup percentage tool. Yes. Yeah. I, I guess I, I do believe that I have used that. So I have used that a little bit, but so maybe, maybe I just haven't had any luck in MMA. I've I probably only played three or four slates. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I said three or four I, slates. That's easy to, 
Dude, I yeah. dude, I played all throughout COVID and was just losing money. Yeah. Right? And I, but I'm going through the math of all this going cuz I'm downloading the CSV and seeing how many dupes there are and so, there's so many dupes. I'm like this is like Showdown. So it's like yeah. great. So I, if I play this like Showdown and then my graph would just go down and down and down, a little up and a little down and down, and, down, and then it's like I was only playing because COVID because there was nothing else going on. So it's like, uh, right. I'll, I'll try out MMA. And then I liked but then it you a change, lot. But you changed your process. So that, it sounds like you were doing more of my process. Yes. And then you changed it, factoring in Vegas odds and stuff like that. Which um, is already factored in the projections. You said, no, no, the difference is that I used the betting lines in order to determine the efficient owner that, I mean, directionally accurate, efficient ownership of a fighter. And then okay. use that use that number to build my lineups. So instead of using okay. the ownership sum, I'm using what essentially would be a leverage score. So like like what Osimo uses as leverage score for any of the other sports. Imagine using that number for your projection, which means that okay. the higher the number is, that means the more contrarian it is. And right, in, right. and it, now in a sport like NBA or NFL or when there's the player pool is that wide, you don't want like. You don't want to build lineups that are like leveraged to the max because the optimizer is going to maximize for that fantasy point value. So you definitely don't want to do that. But in a binary sport like MMA, when there's like 26 fighters, it's like any lineup is, they, no matter, there's no such thing as a poorly projected lineup in MMA. Play all the six, under, the six cheapest underdogs. That still has, that's going to be probably unique. You're leaving obviously like 7,000 on the table. But that actually still has a chance, like, that has a chance of actually being the nuts more so than doing that in Showdown in NFL or yeah. something, right? right? So being that that's the case, like, so why aren't I just creating a leverage score for each of the fighters and go, well, I'm playing large field GPPs, and instead of ha me having to worry about pruning for uniques, it's like the highest optimized for this number should be the most unique. Give me 150 of them. I mean, like, that... Right. So like I'm calculating it based on that. So my projection number isn't the projection. It's just the like the guys are the most the, the guys that are the most underowned have the highest projection. And that's just how huh. I make and then I make my lineups that way. That's interesting. That's a really fast and it seems to be working pretty well. No, and, and it gets well, me no. a lot of a lot of slates. Some on the smallest slates, sometimes I screw up. But a lot of times I more than more than half my lineups are unique. I'll get like okay. out of 150. I'll, I, I mean, I've had some slates where like 85, 89, some I have like 60 something. And then a lot of times I'll have like the rest of my lineups will be like under 10, under five. And every yeah. once in a while I'll get, you know, oh, this lineup's 98, this lineup's 60. And I, you'll get some of yeah. those in there. And then obviously on the smaller, the, the problem with that is that on the smaller ones, you need more of my process mixed with your process. Cause like 10 fight cards, it's like, now it's now you got to pretty much leave money on the table. Like lineups yeah. are going to be duplicated way, way too much. And even using that, that number, I did it on one. I think it was a, it was a nine fight card because we got all these cancellations and it's like, I don't even like playing nine. I don't, I'm not even sure if that's, if it's profitable to even play large field on nine fight cards. Right. And I'm like, I'm just going to use the numbers that I use. I should be getting uniques anyway. And my number of uniques was zero. Oh wow! So it's like, like, so obviously, like, and I actually made money that slate. I've been, you mean, you mean your number enough. of lineups that were entirely unique was zero. entirely unique was zero. Okay, yeah, yeah. But typically, on a on a large card, on, on a on a fifteen fight card, 
I'll get I'll get unique somewhere between sixty and ninety. Yep. Simply simply using you know just those numbers and obviously like the guy that's the most underowned I don't like it's going to jam him into eighty five percent of my lineups. I don't want the seven percent owned guy in eighty five percent of my lineups. Like right. like I want to be more diverse than that. Maybe he's in twenty five percent of my lineups. So that's yeah. why I don't like if I just left it to just like no exposure caps. I'd probably end up with 120, 130 unique lineups. It's just that, like, okay, I'm betting, I'm betting my entire, pretty much 90% of my slate on on a plus 380 underdog with a with a uh, with a finishing chance of 8%, just because he's 4% owned. Right. Right. So like, I don't want to like. So that's that's a matter of diversification. Yeah. But essentially, that's what I'm doing. So like, the projection that you know that around the industry. Oh, this guy's 79. This one's 73. Like, I don't care about those. I'm not building those numbers. I'm building like, just give me the leverage between that. And, and that's how I'm building uniques before I had to do it your way. I had to leave salary on the table, make multiple runs and then go through and go this one. And this one's too high ownership. This one's too high and go through. And then you could do that. You have 150 lineups and then you end up 14 uniques. And it's like, how the fuck did I only get 14 uniques? Yeah. Like how does this lineup? How's how was this lineup duped thirty six times? And I look at it and go, it left seven hundred on the table, and it has like a twelve percent owned guy, and it's still owned. It's still thirty six duped. And I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. So I I posted about this on Twitter, but it's interesting to me with NFL how you can have those uh, unique lineups that use almost all the salary and don't really. You're talking, You're talking about showdown, though. You're talking about showdown. NFL showdown. Yeah, yeah. Right. sorry. Only only showdown. There was a week that uh, that Al Seidenfeld won, and he only duped like four times, maybe. And, and it was, was a 50K like, lineup. Yeah, or, or or close to at least. I don't remember if it was exactly 50K. And like no player in the lineup was under 10% owned. Mm. And somehow it was only <laughs> – and it's because – so for me, it, it's interesting to see, I guess – people really are afraid of the negative correlations. And that's kind of how I used to play showdowns for NFL. Um, but I didn't realize that it was to that extent people were not playing. Right. I, th- I think that lineup, that lineup was like the defense and the opposing running back. Yeah. Yep. Right. And typically a lot of like people that. just grip that out. Yeah. And I, I think it was, it was maybe, uh, I want to say it was Elvin Kamara at captain. And then they also had the Saints quarterback and then the opposing defense. So it was, there was some negative correlation there, but uh, still, it was just surprising in a field of that size to only have like four or five when all of the players were so high owned. Uh, it surprised me that there weren't more players who make a lot of lineups using an optimizer who didn't allow for that in their rules. Like, it, I don't know. I was, but they just I was didn't pretty get shocked. To it. I don't know. I, I, sometimes I don't, sometimes you don't know. Yeah, but it, like it projected well. So I, I don't know. It just, it surprised me. Um, but so sometimes I wonder if, I, I mean, my showdown process has been working pretty well in general this year. So I, I, am hesitant to switch things up too much. Um, but I get to a, a lot of uniques and it's always kind of the doing the math in my head. Okay. But you want to get unique, but you also want to get unique in the best ways that you can still make a lot of money. And sometimes I see a lot of other pros get unique, but still use closer to the max salary cap. So it's, a uh, it's a fun game. I, I love playing showdown and trying to figure out like how, how can I make good lineups that are still unique? And sometimes I end up with like a quarterback who uh, doesn't really run is my only player from a team. And I'm like, that's probably not ideal. 
Uh, I still run into some of those lineups occasionally where I'm like, this is probably probably a negative UV lineup, even though it's not duped. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, as long as it projects well, I think that's perfectly fine. Yeah. You could, t- you I mean, you perfect. could make tons of unique lineups by playing six $200 players in the line. I mean, you can. Sure, sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're, 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 they have almost they have virtually no shot at winning, but they, they will be unique. Right. So yeah. you have to avoid that, that extent also. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's, I mean, that's, that's the equation that's interesting to me is trying to make the most unique lineups without also making unique, making lineups that are unique because they suck because there's no, they have no shot at winning, like trying to still make lineups that have a shot at winning um, is, is a, a fun equation for me in NFL. And I think I'm still working on it because I, I think that I'm not doing exactly the same thing as other pros. I think that I leave more salary on the table across the board than most pros do. Uh, a lot of pros are good at finding ways to make unique lineups without leaving salary on the board, um, which is or or, le- or more yeah. unique lineups. I, I mean, like I don't mind making lineups that are duped under five for a, a showdown yeah. where it's five hundred k to first. It's like okay, so a hundred thousand dollars is fine. With like, I'm still fine with that. I'm just avo- trying to avoid the ones that are massively duped over ten, over twenty, and it depends on how many lineups I'm playing. Like the, on showdowns now, I pretty much only play like maybe maybe ten to fifteen lineups. Okay. So I get and I'm I'm playing it primarily in the thirty three dollar contest, so it's fifty three hundred entries. So I don't have to worry as much about getting crazy crazy. And if I'm right. duped two other times in that contest. It's fifty k to first, and whatever. I'll make make what seventeen thousand or something, twenty thousand. I don't mind, but I'm only playing like six hundred dollars worth of volume, so it's like, right? Okay, I don't I don't mind that, but I'm only doing that because on Mondays and Thursdays I do a goddamn show, so like I don't have the time to do everything. And then on Sunday nights I'm I'm too tired that I I don't even want to play Sunday Showdown. So like I'm stuck in this place of like I'm not playing a hundred. I'm not going to play hundred and fifty lineups, which I would I would normally. I wouldn't play 150. I would play like somewhere between 50 and 100, uh, you know, sub 40 to 80, whatever like that. Uh, a lot of the process is pruning and like, like that, yeah. like, and, and when inactives come out like an hour and a half before and you have a show that's 20 minutes I later, yeah. I can't, I just can't, I can't, I can't yeah, do it effectively. Only- if I can't do it effectively, I shouldn't be doing it at all. I end up crunching lineups, recrunching oftentimes while I'm on a show on, on the Monday night football stream. And yeah, it's definitely a lot more stressful when you're trying to do a show because any other showdown slate, I'm like working on it basically until lock, just like, cause I, my process involves a lot of crunching and recrunching until mm-hmm. I get to exposures that I like. And, um, you know, I, I set rules and stuff, um, to get to teams that I like. Uh, but yeah, it, it's pretty, I, I do that. And then sometimes I'll be, think that I'm done you know, an hour and a half before the slate, which is like 10 minutes before the show starts. The the timing is not ideal. And then you get news that, for example, Zach Moss is going to play. Mm-hmm. And now I have to change. I was getting a ton of Devin Singletary last night. And then during the show, I was like, I said that. And then like 10 minutes later, I was like, oh, uh, actually, I'm not. I'm not getting to a lot of Devin Singletary anymore because now he doesn't look good at all. He used to look incredible. He was too cheap. He was going to get a lot of work. And now he doesn't look that great. Um, yeah, it's a... Uh, that's why I don't do NBA live before lock. I was, I thought about trying it out this year and I was like, there's just no way that I'm going to be able to do it. And I'm really glad. So that, that was before I'd even really thought about it much. Uh, now I'm like really glad that I didn't do it because as I said earlier, I think that NBA is just so involved. You really need to know the rotations, the coach's tendencies. And I guess you're right that you can wait until 
the guys who are actually doing the projections update that stuff for you. But you know, you got to fill the airtime too, right? People want to know right away. Okay, what does this mean? Like, if if Steph Curry's out, who who who's affected? Who's going to get the? Yeah, boost? but well, you could you could you could but you could share the DFS aspect of like it more more a matter of well, the other person on the show is like, well, if if this guy's out, that means this guy is like almost a must play, and he's like. Well, that means a lot of people will be playing a cheap shooting guard, which means high price centers will go up in ownership. Like the construction, you can now judge, you know, what would be the yeah. contrarian construction now? Like to me, that's what I view DFS as. Like right. let let every let, I'll outsource the sport information, but if everyone's going to start jamming in cheap guards, maybe this is a good time to pay up for a guard because all the ownership is going to be there. And maybe you pay down for a 6K center and use that type right. of construct. Like to me, that's, that's the benefit that I provide strategy wise and and okay. the the bit the best question is if you don't have time for that why don't you just do live before lock on wednesdays yeah right right That's you just idea. don't play if you're not going to play on wednesdays anymore just yeah. you do you do you do the show on wednesday because it's actually a worst day anyway yeah. Don't play on your point. worst day. So I'll give everybody else the bad advice that I use to lose all my money on Wednesdays. <laughs> Smart. Right, right. Yeah. You tell people I'm only on this show because I'm horrible on Wednesdays. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's a good idea. Uh, I mean, now they, they've got it all filled up at this point. They've got plenty of guys doing doing their live before lock. So no, no need for me to jump in now. Right. I don't like doing crunch time either. Right. Different names, yeah. different shows. Same thing. Yep. Same thing. Uh so Neil, uh, people are probably going to ask. It's like, what the hell happened, to Eric? Eric, uh, due to his responsibilities at uh, new responsibilities and projects at Better Collective, uh, he said he didn't want to be a shitty co-host anymore, and everyone knew he was the shittiest co-host, right? Because every terrible, you know, right? Because I people thought this at times. People thought this was an interview show and not just just two people shooting the shit about whatever happened the past week or whatever the fuck. Uh, I only get guests on because Eric would say like the day before, it's like, I can't make it. I can't do this. Right. Something like that. Like we didn't even have a show last week because Eric went from Monday. Can't do Monday. Then Tuesday's like, can't do Tuesday. Then Wednesday's like, oh, I don't think so. And like, like at that point I'm like, okay, fuck it. No show. So, uh, so Neil, you, you, you're going to be, you, you're going to be here for the, for the time being. Right. Yeah, I quit my job in September, so now I've got pretty pretty wide open schedule for the time being. Uh, my responsibilities might become might increase at awesome. We'll we'll kind of see how things go, but I really I'm happy to be on the show. I love love talking DFS. I don't love it so much at uh, 10 a.m., which might seem ridiculous, but uh, I am not a morning person at all. You well, can me see neither. That I me neither. More lucid throughout the show today because uh, 10 a.m. is like usually I'm still in bed at 10 a.m. <laughs> I'm like I've just had my coffee. Just uh, yeah, it's it's no me, me, me so too. I'm, it's just I have a doctor's appointment today in the afternoon. Yeah, yeah I know, I know. So we have to, we have to um, make it then. So player Q yeah, no. DFS on Twitter. Correct. So it, I, it, are people going to comment on who 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 the co-host they like the They're going to be like, oh well, uh, are they going to be glad that you're here and not Eric's here or? No, I don't think so. Not not today. Maybe I mean probably not. They're not going to be glad that I'm here instead of Eric. I think what the people are really clamoring for is the uh, they're going to want you to have rotating hosts because they love uh, I think seeing all the pros. But hopefully I can do a good enough job that people will enjoy me over time. But you're but you're a pro. I am a pro, but, they, but I'm I'm one pro, and they they want to see you know rotating cast. I don't I don't really know what the people want. I'm talking talking up my ass here. Um, but I, I, I enjoy sometimes seeing different pros on the show just to hear different perspectives personally. So I think that there's something to, to including pro, uh, different new pros from time to time as well. But we could, uh, always, we could do that. I'm always happy. 
Yeah, I, I mean, we could also do a three-person panel if, if that's right. Even if I'm available, we could bring somebody on. We can that's talk right. with a new a new pro. Hopefully, uh, we don't have to pay five hundred dollars an hour to bring them on. Yeah, right. Well, that's only for coaching, right? I think I don't know. I think I, I think I people, I think people are, 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 would be more happy about this episode that I uh, I I think uh, you got the hang of had uh, had to had to interject into conversation so I don't talk the whole time. I worked on it a little bit this show, a little bit better than the last show. It's probably, it's not natural to me. I'm not an interrupter. If I'm, if I'm in a group like of like eight people, I might not say anything for two hours. Whereas if I'm one-on-one with somebody or in a group of three people, I'll do plenty of the talking, but in a large group, I just, as somebody who doesn't interrupt, I end up just not saying anything. Uh, and with a guy like you, who, you know, you, you have a lot of, you have a lot to say, uh, and you don't pause very much. I, I had to kind of learn to interrupt a little bit. I'll, I'll keep working on it. Right. No, I think you did a good job. I think, I think that okay. this was sad. I, I think it was like maybe a 65, 35 split. That's not bad. At I all. think that's, that's not bad. I don't think that's, that's bad. I think that yeah. the, 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 the most split one I've ever done is probably with Travis Mangoli. Oh yeah. Oh, but he's the perfect one because they both both from well, he's from New Jersey, so it's like he talks faster than I do. Yeah, yeah. So it's right. like I can't get barely interrupted, and he'll he has no problem. Inter- it's like we're New York, okay? This is the way we talk. Like right, having right. a conversation with Mangone, it sounds it seems natural to me. To everyone else, it's like how do how do you people like that's 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 normal. It's like listening to a different language. Yeah. Right. If you're gonna pause for about a half a second, that means you're done. Obviously. Right. Right. That's funny. Uh, Player Q DFS, if people want to follow on Twitter, uh, and uh, awesomeo.com. Obviously, you're, you're 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 on some shows there. I'm on Rotogrinders. Ooh, ooh, we're ooh, we're the, we cross the streams, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, we can't have. What is it? Doesn't matter, right? That's the whole purpose of this show. That it doesn't right. matter. This show is on an island, and we're not talking right. about anything specifically, right? Like what's happening on today's NBA slate? I have no idea, right? It I don't doesn't know who's playing. Right. This is all evergreen content. Anyway, so uh, so check out Neil there. Check out me, and obviously check out the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass that you could find at theoryofdfs.com.